Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. How long have you been doing the uh, the live coding? I've been doing it for about almost uh, over a year. I'm in my second year of live coding. Although okay. I used to speak at conferences and at conferences I used to a long time ago, I would do live coding. I would start the session by saying, you're going to spec out what we're going to build today. And it's going to be in this wow. domain. Right. Okay. So we're going to yeah. learn about how to build uh, control, custom controls or whatever. But you're going to tell me what we're going to build. And I, I used to love it. It was incredible fun to go in there and, and have the audience determine the spec. Because what was cool, at first, people are like, you know, throwing out kind of a general idea. But as you start doing it, everybody starts getting all in. Right? They're invested. They've seen you make mistakes. They've seen you fix them. They've gone through the bugs. They understand all the code because you started from scratch. Right. And we're now, yeah. we're now, we're, we're getting to the point where now people are at, what happens is as you get closer to the end of the time, this, the requests from the audience are become more and more specific to what you've built and they push it hard typically. Right. And so for me, one of the really exciting things was like looking at the clock, say, okay, we've got three minutes to go. Can we add this feature? Right. In three <laughs> minutes. Right. And if you, and if you're able to get that feature, just before time runs out, the crowd will go nuts. They will go wild if you can get that thing to compile just as the second is coming right up and it runs and it works, right? So yeah, I've been doing that. I've been doing the live coding for about uh, a year and a half, I think. And I love it. I absolutely love it. I love it for several reasons. One, we are dog fooding the product that we make. So I'm in Visual Studio, code rushes loaded, and I am writing code. And I'm not writing sample small little apps. I'm working on, uh, on code that I've been building this whole year. So I've got a, a pretty significant code base that I'm working on, and we're pushing the product. We're pushing Visual Studio. And I have multiple instances of Visual Studio up. Every show I do, I've got at least three instances of Visual Studio running. Two are running debug in debug sessions, debug mode. And the third one is alternating between debug and, and editing and, and restarting the app, that sort of thing. Plus, I'm streaming live from a single machine. My machine in, is, and, and the live stream has got loads of graphics. It's got a particle emitter system that we built as well. So my CPU, my GPU are getting just burdened Right. And we're doing all of this and I'm loving it though. We're, we are, you know, the goal is keep CPU under 90%. Right. <laughs> and, and keep, keep the show running, keep the, keep the, keep OBS, which is the software I use to transmit, continuing to, to transmit at a, at a smooth rate. And yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Often I come in and I start a show and I'm like, well, I think I'm going to do this today. And as usual, I've done zero prep. Here we go. So, so that's what I do. And I, I also like, by the way, my favorite is when I'm moving fast through it, right? Not every show is as fast as, the, as, as every other one. But, but mm. what I like to do is I like to 
when there's a problem, I like trying to solve it quickly. And, and if something doesn't work, I, I like often very quickly try something else. And I think it's a great technique for, for showing people how to solve real world problems, right? And this, we just recently in this app, we just recently added uh, composite design patterns so we could do group, support grouping and ungrouping. We added the commanded design pattern so we could support undo and redo. And we implemented the flyweight design pattern as well so that we could have efficiently stored Dungeons & Dragons maps on disk. So we, we went through some design pattern implementation as well, which I really enjoyed. I enjoyed those things. And since we did that, we went in and made major architectural changes that made us you know, kind of take a step back and rethink Oh, what do we have now? We want this new architectural change. Before we were just grouping these these images that we were dropping down on the on the map, like chairs and tables and things like that. We could group those together, but now we wanted to add monsters and characters, and we want to support grouping of those as well. But they're not the same as these other things. They're different entities, right? We we had originally created this beautiful architecture, and now we're coming in and supporting a whole new data type inside of here, but we want to still support undo, redo. We want to have a custom property editors pop up around it. We want to have buttons pop around it and all of that. And we just recently went through these changes in the last, I don't know, I want to say like six episodes. We went through it and it was very interesting to watch the impact on the original design. And yet we come out of it with really efficient code, like beautiful, beautiful code, generally high quality code, and the, the design pattern work that we did before is still standing. We still have undo, redo. We still have serialization. So I can come in to, to like a class, for example, my monster class. I can add a new property to it. Like, for example, it's hit points. I can give it a couple attributes and then I'm done. Just, just put attributes in the code. Like I can say what its display text would be, what its precision might be. So it might be a double and I might say I want its precision to be zero. So I just want it to be like an int, almost be like an int. Uh, or I can say I want it to have two digits or three digits, whatever. I can also hook up other dependencies that are UI based all from attributes. And now that I've done that, once I do that, that property on the monster hit points, the, the, the hit points property on the monster automatically will be saved when I save the file. It'll be loaded when I load the file. It'll uh, allow me, I can multi-select. And if those properties are all the same, my property editor will show the value. So it supports multi-select editing in properties, which is something things like, you know, Adobe Premiere and Adobe After Effects don't support, right? Mm -hmm. It supports full undo and redo with that property. So if I change the hit points, it, it's automatically participating inside the undo redo stack, all of that from one line of code plus the attributes on it, right? So maybe three lines of code, but there, there's, no, there's no procedural code that's being written. I'm just defining and adding a property, right? It is, it is it's, it, at the end of the day, you look at it and you're like, hey, those design patterns that we put all that effort in, that work is still yeah. standing. Even though we had to, 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 re, to go through the app and kind of re-gut and rethink what we were holding on to, at the end, all that work still paid off. You know, nothing was broken with regards to the benefits we received, we, we enjoyed from this design patterns. And I, I love it. I, I love it. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think that's one, for me, one of the beautiful things about being a developer is you can write code a year ago using good patterns and, and properly thinking through it. And then your boss comes and says, hey, we need to add a new feature. This needs to be able to do this, this, and this now. You add a couple of properties, you add another function, and and you test it, and it all works. You don't have to go rewrite 
your backend code or add in extra logic yeah. because you wrote it, you wrote it well and you thought through the ramifications um, of how you're writing. Right. Yes. Yes. One of the important skills to have as, an, as a developer is to, as soon as possible in the development cycle, to recognize what your future coding life is going to be like with this product. For example, am I going to be creating a whole bunch of new creature descendants? Am I going to be creating a bunch of new classes that are descendants of creatures to represent monsters, for example? Or am I going to be wanting to add properties to monsters and have those properties show up in the UI and, and, and take care of and, and be taken care of in, in ways that are, are very easy? Or am I going to want to be able to add custom property editors? What am I going to want to be able to do a lot of? When we were building Code Rush for Visual Studio, when we were first building it, it occurred to me that what we were going to build a lot of for Code Rush were, were refactorings. Mm. And so I put a lot of energy, and the team put a lot of energy into creating wizards and a, an architecture that would make it incredibly brain dead easy to add refactorings to Code Rush. So we put all this work into investing in it. And the payoff is later when we're like, hey, I want this refactoring. Instead of somebody saying, oh, let me estimate how long that'll take. Or instead of somebody saying, oh, that's going to take a long time. And I don't, you know, I got to do all this other stuff, right? You've got, whenever we have to like start writing classes and, you know, do something based on a framework, often there's this kind of, you know, sinking of our hearts in our hearts because we recognize there's, there's an effort that's not creative, fun, artistic, beautiful, effortless, right? It's like, oh, there's, there's some drudgery involved, right? And that is a frictional force against creativity, a frictional force against, against progress, especially in the areas that are important. So I said, look, building refactorings was important. We need to be able to do this quickly. So we need to put invest in tooling so that it's incredibly fast and that's one of the things that we did. So that skill of recognizing early on, what's the thing I'm going to need to do the most in here? I'll give you another example. I have a, an expressions editor. I'm sorry, I have, custom, I have an expressions evaluator in, uh, that we're using. It's a third-party piece that we got downloaded from GitHub. We got, on, we got a NuGet package. It's a SEB, S-E-B, expressions evaluator. And uh, it has an extensibility point where you can add your own custom functions. Well, as soon as I started adding a couple custom functions, I was like, and I had a I had a registration mechanism, and I'll tell you, every time I built a registration mechanism to register something, I've always been burned by it. And the part that burns me is I create some new element and I forget to register it. Right? It costs me about twenty to thirty seconds when it happens because I've started up the app, mm. it's not working. Mm. What's happening? I didn't register it. Ugh. So with these expression. These expression pieces, I created an ancestor class created that, that did some of the, the work for me, like you know, ch evaluating tokens, checking to see, am I available or not? Just a little bit of work. And then when, when we load up, I go through all the types in the assembly. I look for descendants of that class, and then I register them automatically. And now, if I want to add a new function to my expression evaluator, I essentially do two things in my spreadsheet where I've got my functions for my monsters or my dungeons and dragons and rules. I just type in the expression, the new expression, whatever it is. Then I create the class in my code and then I run. I don't have to register it anymore. So I've lowered the, the, the burden. I've lowered the barrier of entry to the thing I'm going to do all the time. And now as a result, I have, 
I have probably about 30 different custom expressions. And if I had to register, I'd probably have 12 by now because of that extra pain, the extra weight involved in doing that. So yeah, I think that's a good skill as a developer. See what you're going to be doing a lot of and invest in improving, invest in improving the code so that it's easy, effortless to do that thing you're going to have to do a lot of later. So one of my fears about you know, live coding is being able to maintain focus. You know, with all the commenting and everything going flying by and you want to keep up with, with it, I think that would be really distracting to me. Does it tend to start out that way, but then get better over time as you, as you do it more? Well, as you start, you're probably going to have a small audience like I did when I first started, right? And so small audience, there's not a lot of distraction. Today, we were doing some intense stuff, and there were a couple of distractions where I was like, all right, let's totally change directions because of something somebody said in the chat room. And at some point, I, and actually, one, this is the first time this happened, but today I was like, wait, where was I? Like that. So it was a little bit uh, today that I was distracted. But I will also say that the suggestions coming from the chat room today were by and large excellent suggestions. They were theoretical what-ifs which are interesting by themselves, but they're more interesting if you answer them, right? Because essentially what I'm doing, look, I'm just trying to break code rush. I'm trying to find edge case bugs, right? I'll write whatever you want me to write, right? So if you suggest this, like something like this, almost always I'll take it. I'll take the bait and we'll go down that path. As long as I've finished what I'm doing, right? We've kind of wrapped it up. So a couple of times I was like, well, let's hold off on that. And I finished up what I was doing but I find in general that I was, that I am not, I'm not, I actually enjoy the interaction from the chat room. So I will say this though, the number of folks that are watching me, they're not like high numbers like Jeff Fritz has. Jeff Fritz has, I think, easily three times as many folks as, I, as I'm getting. And, and, and there are other folks who have even more. And in those cases, the way I work, I don't think is scalable to those larger audiences. I don't think yet. I'm not sure about that. But the other thing, though, is, is that your regular folks that are with you, they will also help. They'll answer questions in the chat room, that sort of thing. And sometimes they'll help. Like today, they helped. Somebody made a suggestion, and one of the regulars just said Mark with an exclamation mark in front of it with a bunch of uh, carrot symbols kind of pointing up to the, the post right above it. Mm-hmm. And when they do exclamation mark, it switches scenes to something that says Miller or Mark or look at the chat room. <laughs> You know, like that, right? So I'm like, wait, what? And I look. So, so in other words, if somebody comes up with something really good, your regulars can also help you. So, you know, again, from my standpoint, the focus issue sometimes is there. And sometimes I focus. And there's another thing our folks can do on the chat room is they can create smoke clouds coming up from my head. And they'll do that sometimes. I'll notice. Sometimes I'll look down at the OBS broadcast. And I'll be like, oh, they got me smoking. Cause, and yeah, that makes sense. Because I've been just like focused trying to solve the problem. And sometimes I miss messages in the chat room because of that. That's why they have the ability to shout out Mark, right? While I'm going. So, but, but I enjoy it. I find that I am happier live coding than I am, co- than I am coding in private because it is, it is a higher level of cognitive load that's going on. My brain is more challenged in more ways, right? In other words, I'm, yes, I'm challenged trying to solve the problem right? To figure out what is it, what's going on. But I'm also challenged to maintain, you know, the, the, the speed of the show, make sure, make sure that I'm not like, you know, just sputtering out, right? Make sure the show is interesting. Make sure that, that we're, we're, we've got a sense of a beginning, a middle and an end or, or to the story, 
right? The beginning of the story is here's my goal. And the end of the story is I achieved the goal, hopefully, right? Something like that. I love that there's always an uncertainty, right? I've even had shows where we've had power outages here in Costa Rica and my battery backups slowly dying as the stream is still going. So my lights go out, my monitors go out, and I'm down to a laptop still going, right? Waiting for power to come back on. So, but yeah, it's, it is incredible fun. So I'm just wondering, what is the, the experience like as a, as a, as a viewer? Because I, I think we had a guest last week, I think Bobby Johnson. He also mentioned live coding. And I actually did actually just have a look at his channel and things like that. But I wasn't sure, like, was I, like how invested I am as a, as a viewer? Am I supposed to be watching it from the start to, to the end? Or, or like, because I, I couldn't really get what, what they were doing, really. Um, you know what I mean? Like yeah. in terms of trying to trying to understand like how invested am I in, in the solution? Am I supposed to understand the whole solution as well to be able to understand what they're doing? Yeah, no, I think that's, well, I think that's, I, I think that the answer is everybody has a, is, is going to have a different level of investment. You're going to have regulars who are there with you every single show who, who have an understanding of what you're doing. You're also going to have regulars who are doing something else while they're watching your show. So they might have the sound down, for example, mm. or they might have the sound up, but they're doing some sort of task that allows them to pay attention, but also do the other, the other task as well. Yeah. And sometimes that'll happen. And, and what, what's interesting about those folks is sometimes they'll realize you're struggling to find something. They'll be like, wait, I didn't see it. You'll hear them. They'll, they'll type something in. They'll say, wait, what's, what are you looking for? And whatever, what is it you're trying to solve? Or is this it? And you'll say, yeah, that's it. And then they'll be like, okay. And they'll kind of come in and help you. Right. Sorry, I was paying attention to something else or whatever. Mm. So you've got that. And you've also got kids that are coming in just in the moment. Right. That could also happen from a raid, which happens on Twitch, which is when another Twitch channel sends you all their viewers because they're done. Mm. Right. And so all of a sudden you get a bunch of people in. So when new people come in, I'll often say, here's what we're doing. Here's an overview. Right. We're, we're working on. So the, the stuff that we're building, we're doing the map editor now. But in the past, we've built essentially ESPN level or, or professional grade play-by-play graphic effects for the game Dungeons and Dragons. Because we're going to stream a live comedy Dungeons and Dragons game. It's going to be similar to Mondays, which is a podcast I did with Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell, and Karen Mangicotti. It was a comedy podcast that we did. It's irreverent comedy. We say a bunch of bad words in that show. And, and, but, it's, but it's funny. And we're going to do the same thing with Dungeons and Dragons. But now we need things when a player takes a hit, we need just a bucket of blood to shoot out from them right, for example. And so we have that. Or when they, they get health, we actually have particle 3D effects spinning around the player live, which is, if, if anybody knows how to, you know, if anybody thinks about this, you might be like, wait, what? That's kind of impossible. You can't actually do live 3D around effects around somebody. It's really, really hard to do that. Or at least I think a lot of people would say that's impossible. But we've done that. And we made that happen on the show as well. We've got 3D dice. In Dungeons and Dragons, you've got dice that have different kinds of damage. You have fire damage. You have cold damage. You have necrotic damage. You have bludgeoning. And for each one of those, we have graphic effects that spin around the dice that come out. For example, piercing damage, we've got knives that stab out of the die, knives and teeth and things like that. As it's going for fire damage, the die is on fire. For cold, there's a winter storm kind of going around the die. So we've got all of these cool over-the-top effects that are happening to make Dungeons & Dragons look like you're watching a, a professional f- sports show. So, think, so that's another thing that, that we're doing on there. So I think that overview so, is what, probably what I missed because I just joined the channel and it was just some dude just typing and I was like, well, I don't, I don't know what you're doing kind of thing. But I think if, if there was like an overview, if there was like a start to finish the show, do this. It would have made when, more sense, so. 
when you go in and say, what's going on? It is totally kosher to, yeah. to ask that question in the middle of somebody's stream. What's going on? You, if you ask me, if somebody asks me what's going on, I will stop and tell you. I'm happy to tell you what's going on because it's no use to you. You're not, and no use to me if you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm somehow like, figure it out, buddy, you're going to be gone in a second. And that's no use to me because, you know, I'm, I, I want people to watch. I want people to learn. I want to learn from other people who are out there, right? There's a really good chance you could come up with a great idea if you knew what was going on. But if I don't tell you and I dismiss you, it's a bad idea. So I promise you, everyone that I know of that's on the live coders team is going to answer your question. If you say, hey, what's going on? They'll tell you what's going on. Somebody else in the chat room will. It's, it, you know, sometimes people come in and go like, are you working in C Sharp? You know, you know they'll, they'll ask, Wait, what, what's this? Uh -huh. You know, and you'll, you'll say, what's going on, right? I'm okay with all kinds of questions, right? I'm happy to answer. I'm happy to answer. And I think everybody else is as well. What's this thing called that you're building? It doesn't have a great name. It's not a product I'm going to sell or anything like that. It's all open source that's out there. The only thing that's not open source are the assets because those are licensed separately, but all the source code is out there. So I don't know. It's called like, I've got, I've got like one called, yeah, it's called D&D Map Spike is one of the project names. Another one is the Overlay Manager. Yeah, they got dumb names. They're not, <laughs> they're not named to sell. Nobody's going nobody's gonna to buy these things. But yeah, it's out, it's out of GitHub. I'm out of uh, GitHub at Miller Mark if you want to go take a look at those. And is there a schedule for when, how often you do these code sessions? When yeah, there, yeah, there is. I do them Tuesdays, uh, Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays. I start at 11 a.m. Eastern time, 8 a.m. Pacific or 1600 UTC. That's my start time. I'll have to figure out what the Australian time for that is. <laughs> I think it is. I think it's actually not too bad. Oh, okay. I think it's a not too bad time. I think it's nighttime for you Okay, uh, is what I think it is. is it, am I doing that right? Or maybe I'm doing that wrong. I might no, be doing that I'll wrong. look it up. But um, yeah, it sounds like a, I wouldn't mind yeah, having a look at some point. I think, I think it's actually problematic for you now that I think about it. Yeah. I think it is. Uh, <laughs> I think it's not good for you. Yeah. It's a bad time. <laughs> Always is. Bad place It sounds in. real interesting though. It's one of those yeah. things. Uh, I see you're up to like episode 200 something. So um, yeah. Two, 231. We just finished that today. Got a so, nice yeah. big backlog. Yeah, there's actually more out on uh, YouTube as well. The older ones are okay. out there as well. I think that the, the most interesting ones are the design pattern ones. When we went in to do the design right. patterns, I think that those are, those are super interesting because we're, we're basically saying, let's start from an app that's already mature and mm -hmm. let's go back and, and let's now implement design patterns in it and gain the benefits. Right. That's what I love about this. In fact, somebody said that today on the stream. They said they really like this show because it is because of just that. You're you're not showing demo apps, right? You are. Right. This is like a, like as close to a real world app as you get, and you're right in there dealing with all the same kinds of problems you have in a real world app, right? When you want to go in and now make it do something it was never designed to do. Have you heard of Atwood's law? He says that anything that can be built in JavaScript eventually will be built in JavaScript, and that includes mobile apps. You can build awesome mobile apps and Apple TV and other apps with React Native. Come check us out every week as we talk about some of the ins and outs of building mobile apps with JavaScript and with React on React Native Radio. You can find it at reactnativeradio.com. You've mentioned a few times Code Rush, so could you tell us what that is and how it got started? Yeah, I actually started it for Borland's Delphi or Delphi, depending on where you are in the world, how you say it, which is a Pascal-based IDE compiler. I started it how long ago? 
Is it? That must, that must have been a while. Go it was on. a long time ago. Yeah, I'm like, we're, we're at least in, I think, 1999, 1998 timeframe. I have an idea for a product that is, sits inside of, of Delphi, the IDE. Up until this time that I have, I'm about to create the product, guess what? I'm not actually using Delphi's IDE. I'm using another tool, which I think is, if I'm recalling correctly, called CodeWrite from a company that was uh, based in Portland, Oregon. And I'm not sure if they're still out around or not. But I was using a third-party editor to edit all my Pascal code because it helped me write code faster. For years, I always struggled with, well, I've got all these ideas and I can't get them out in time. I can't, I was always racing against the expiration of the idea, right? Racing to get the code out faster than the idea before I would lose the idea. And so I used a third-party editor and I realized at the time, well, if I'm going to create a product that sits inside of Borland's Delphi, I need to make Borland's Delphi faster. And so I need, so, and the product I was, I was building was called the CDK. Well, I'd already created the CDK, which was the component developer kit. So it was helped, helped you build con- controls and components. But then I was going to build a design pattern engine that was going to allow you to integrate design patterns with your app. So I had this really aspirational uh, goal to build this essentially design patterns tool. And I'm like, well, okay, I can't build that tool unless I, for, until I first make, Delphi faster. And I largely succeeded. I made it incredibly fast, right? And this is where I did the live coding sessions too. I'm using my own tool instead of visual, instead of, instead of Borland's Delphi at the time when I was live coding, writing code much faster than anybody ever was. I would show, show sometimes I would do a show a feature when I was showing the, the product and, and people would laugh at the feature and they would laugh because they realized what they were doing was so much harder than what they just saw. Right, it was that kind of a thing. So, so I'm working at how do I make it faster, faster, faster? Then Visual Studio.net comes out, and Visual Studio comes out in 2003, and I make a deal with uh, Developer Express to bring Code Rush over to Developer Express and to build Code Rush for Visual Studio, and that was awesome because I went from being essentially a one-man shop to leading a larger team. And uh, I say essentially one-man shop. I would uh, contract work out from time to time before when I was doing the Borland, the stuff for Borland, the, the add-in for Borland. But as a result, you get higher quality, right? You get you're able to do things at a higher level of quality than you were able to do before. Now, what is it? So it's an extension that helps, I said at the beginning, it helps you write code faster and the code you get at the end is higher quality. How do we do that? Well, this is like hard to explain. I almost want to say... Magic is what I want to say. Magic is how we do it. But um, yeah, there are easily a hundred different features and the hundred different features are all geared towards those goals, depending on where they are. We have navigation features. We have code writing features, for example. Our code writing features are among the, are are essentially the fastest, best code snippet engine in in the world is what it is. And the most complete. So whereas Visual Studio's code snippets, when you get them out of the box, come with a small handful of of snippets, CodeRush snippets give you those snippets plus combinations, ways of creating combos. So at the end, you can kind of work, use a shorthand to generate code that has hundreds of thousands, if not millions of combinations. So I can essentially string together combos, just like I would string together combo in a video game, something along those lines. So if I want to create a new generic list of a particular type, it's going to be N for new, L for list, a dot after the L, meaning it's generic, and then uh, an S for string, for example. So new list of string is four characters. 
right? And I'll do that and I'll hit the space bar to expand it or the tab key to expand it and it'll generate it out. But that that rule that I just told you, if you anybody have anxiety from just trying to get that rule in your head, that one, because you might, right? Because it's the first time you're encountering it, right? And you're right. Not, not getting the payoff. You're not trying it, right? A little bit of anxiety. Sure, I get that. But but the cool thing about the rules are, right, is that you only have to remember a handful of rules. And once you have that, you have access to about a million combinations of code generation ability, right? Mm-hmm. With shortcuts to generating codes. So that's one way of looking at the speed improvements. We also have, here's another one, a real simple one. Uh, if you're working in C sharp, you have to put a semicolon at the end of the line. How many times have you needed to do that when your caret's been inside parens? Right? What do you do? You reach for the end key or you reach for the right arrow key. You hit the right arrow key a couple times or you hit the end key. Then you come back and hit the semicolon. I can save you all of that with CodeRest. You just hit the semicolon. And CodeRest is like, oh, I know what you want to do. And it puts the semicolon out at the end of the line. Small example, big example, right? There's, there's different things that we can do. Another example that we do really well is something called the debug visualizer. As you're stepping through code, we show you the values of the, the variables as you step through them. And we'll even show you, if we can evaluate without side effects, the future values, what's about to happen. So if you're on an if statement and you think you're going to go in, we'll show you if you're going to go in or not. And we'll do that by de-emphasizing the code if you're not. If you're not going in, we kind of gray out the code a little bit. So you, before you hit F10 to jump inside like you think you're going to go, it's grayed out. You see that, you can start investigating instead of hitting F10 and, and being ending up at the else statement way off screen and having to scroll back up, try to figure out what just happened, right? So we can show you the future. We show you the past as well. And we, and we do that really well, right? Like every once in a while, we build something that is close to perfect from a UI standpoint. Maybe not close to perfect, but, but, but close to almost perfect. You know, like really, we really work it hard and we, we work it to the point that it is like, it, it is largely highly valued by our customers. And so that, you know, that's, that's another example of coders. But like I say, it's got hundreds of features. They're all built from a standpoint of how can we get you there faster? What's the shortest path is always the question we're asking. What's the shortest path from point A to point B and, and how can we help you get there faster? So this is kind of like a, a different uh, approach to doing like, Emmet expansions? Yeah, you can say that. The, the, the templates are. But there are other things too. Like you can take, for example, a, a picture, copy it to the clipboard, paste it inside a comment, and you're going to get a picture inside the code. And you can click on that picture. You can resize it. You can cut it to the clipboard, paste it in another part of the code if you want. You can crop it. You can uh, scale it. Uh, you can change the scale and scale it in ways that are where there's kind of a, an anti-aliasing going on or scale it where there's just pixels. So you can totally see the pixels if you want to zoom in on a screenshot, for example. Sometimes I'll do this. I'll temporarily put a screenshot in, zoom in, show the pixel problem while I'm working on the code. So right there in the code, the picture is there, hmm. right? Or sometimes I'll put a picture of, uh, you know, sometimes like there's these crazy calls, like in JavaScript, there's a, a, a draw cropped call that's got like eight or 10 different parameters. And the parameters are highly visual in nature. And so I'll just go to the Wikipedia for the call or I'll go wherever the, the, the drawing is. I'll grab the drawing. I'll put it in there right there in the call so that I've got it as a reference the next time I want to go look at that draw cropped and see what's going in. Hmm. Yeah, draw cropped is like ridiculous. It's got, and, and, the, and the parameters are named SX and DX, right? And SY and DY. And it, it's just like, it's like, what? 
right? So, so I, I've got a diagram in the code to show those. And this, is, this falls into the category of communication, right? Being able to communicate well and, and, and adding that in there. And, and, with, and with the cool thing about CodeRush is that image feels like it's in the document, right? You click it, it feels like you're clicking on an image inside PowerPoint or Word or some other tool that supports embedded images. And, we, and I, what I love about that too, this has been something I wanted to do for a while and I've tr- taken several stabs at solving the problem, but I feel like in this iteration in Coders for Visual Studio, we've solved every, every problem with this, every challenge with putting an image in a file, I feel like we have solved. I feel like we've done a good job of that. And so, for example, we don't actually store the image in the file. We, we don't embed it in a comment because if we did, that would slow down your compilation, right? You get this giant comment if you had a giant image. So we can't do that, right? We have to store it outside. But where do we store it so that it can also participate in version control? So we answer that question as well. Mm. What happens if you take that image and use it several places? Like somebody might use like an image and they want to put it at the front of their at the front of, the, of every file in their copyright. They might want to put a company image or something like that. They might want to do branding. Well, if you do that multiple times, we don't want to have multiple images. We just want to have one. How do you solve that problem, right? There's, there's you know, what if I want to crop it and have it somewhere else cropped? Am I going to duplicate the image? No, I'm not. How do I solve that problem? So there's all kinds of problems in doing this. How do I make sure I open up the document fast if it takes a while to load the image? Right? How do I make sure document opening opening is still instantaneous? This problem is so hard to to solve, and there's so many vectors on solving this. It could only be solved with a large team and a crazy guy at the head of the team, me. Right? <laughs> Saying we're gonna don't worry, we're gonna get our, we're gonna break our way through this. We're gonna find our way through this. We're gonna solve the, each problem. We're gonna solve, and we're gonna do it. And that's just another example. Another example is the one I, I alluded to earlier. You, I can go into a vector editor, create a button image or something like that in a vector, copy it and paste it in XAML, paste it in HTML, and CodeRush will see it's a vector image and give you the HTML, give you the SVG for it, or it'll give you the XAML for it. Mm. And again, that's like you know just helping you go faster, right? Helping you write code faster, seeing what's on the clipboard when you're pasting it. That sort of thing, right? There's, there's a, a lot of features. I've kind of given you a sample of a few. Most of them are more geared towards the, you know, kind of hardcore developer, right? Mm-hmm. For example, we've got a test runner. It's like an incredibly fast test runner that's out there, right? So we have that. We have the ability to test code coverage for example, as well. That's built into CodeRush. So it's just loads, loads of features. We've got a decompiler built in as well, right? Loads of features in the product built towards just making your experience in Visual Studio that much faster, that much easier. And how many millions of dollars does this cost? This is like, I think something like $49 is what our lowest entry price for it is. However, if you come on my live stream, twitch.tv slash code rushed and you say hey can i get a copy code rush i will give you one for free it will cost you nothing and i have no limit on that at this point you can (laughs) you can bring every member of your team in there if you want it and be fully outfitted for big fat zero and guess who doesn't want me to say that dev express probably doesn't want me to say that but (laughs) but it's true or maybe they do maybe they want to say no hey can i get a copy of code rush yeah hey mark here's the benefit of that is for people who actually listen to our podcast and listen all the way to the end, they're going to get that nice big bonus. That's true. So, Twitch.tv slash code rushed with yeah. an E-D at the end. C-O-D-E-R-U-S-H-E-D. Uh, well, and if you guys uh, have... We'll make sure you, to you add have, show notes. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Yeah, put yeah. the link there. Come out there, say, can I get a copy of Code Rush? That's all you have to say. 
All I'm going to do is I'm going to copy your name. I'll do a DM to you after the show. You'll get downloaded instructions for how to get download instructions and you're done. If, if you use something like ReSharper as another extension, um, would, would, it, yep. would it play well together with, with um, CodeRush? Not really without some effort, I think. I think that if you get them, install them both out of the box, we haven't looked at this in a while, but if you install them both out of the box, the problem is, is there are overlapping features. Yeah, and right. you kind of have to tell one that you don't want it and the other that you do, right? Well, so the, the, the cool thing is CodeRush has got a setup wizard that takes you through the big features and you can very quickly turn the big features on or off through the setup wizard. It's like okay. about 11... 11 pages. It's got pictures. So if you don't like reading things, you can look at pretty pictures and say, do I like that or not? And just go through it quickly. And I think after you do that, I think you get a play well. Yes, you'll play well. But if Mm -hmm. you just install them both out of the box, I I think in general, you're going to, if you already like ReSharper, for example, eh, just, just stick with it, I'd say. DevExpress doesn't want me to say that, but, <laughs> but, but look, if you like the experience already, right, unless there's something specific in CodeRush that you, Sharper doesn't have that you want, like the debug visualizer or, you know, some of these other features I talked about, being able to paste XAML, paste, paste vector graphics inside of XAML, that's a cool feature too, if you're doing that kind of thing, that kind of work. If you want those kinds of features or if you want to try it out, you can do it. The problem is, is look, if you're already comfortable with one, if you're already comfortable with CodeRush, I'd say, yeah, don't go over to ReSharper either unless there was a compelling reason, right? The problem is, is your comfort level is now kind of creating uh, a little bit of a barrier to learn right? You're, you're, you, we've got, one of the things I want to give you is also a link to our CodeRush Feature of the Week uh, series good. on YouTube. We've got about 50 or so features that we talk about on, on there. Every week we've done a Feature of the Week video out there. We just talk about one feature in detail, but you can go out there and kind of get a sense of the features and look at them and see what, you know, wrap your head around it. Each, each video is about like uh, between three minutes and maybe 12 minutes at the longest. Uh, you can go through there, watch that, see what you think. If you like it, jump in, go for it. But I think if you don't have the time to, to, to learn CodeRush, if you don't have that, and you're already getting productivity gains from ReSharper, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, 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 it's just not going to be a good experience for you if you don't have the time. If you have the time to take a look at it, I'd recommend going to the Feature of the Week series first, take a look at that. Or maybe it's time to renew at ReSharper. And now you're thinking, oh, wait, Mark said he'd give it to me for zero, (laughs) right? Maybe that's the time to go out and take a look. I'll be honest with you, Mark. I stopped using ReSharper after they went to the subscription model because I was like, the stuff I'm using is great, but it's also stuff that I can do myself. So so I lost that muscle memory two or three years ago. So CodeRush might be a perfect fit for me. Yeah, I'll definitely give it a try. Does does CodeRush run in process or is it out of process? In process. Yeah, we don't have to do that crazy stuff. The other guys do. You know why? Because we're built on the Roslyn engine, right? We're yeah. using, we're, we're, just, we, we're just taking what Visual Studio gives us, right? Visual mm-hmm. Studio cool. gives us a parse, a parse tree. We're, we got it. We'll take it, right? That's why we're so much faster. That's why we use so much less memory, mm-hmm. right? Is because okay. we're not doubling up. Cool. Awesome. Any other questions before we move on to picks? I think I'm good. I've, yeah, I'm uh, good. It's been a, a good discussion. Yeah, it's interesting. All right. So, Mark, I'm still going to say that you were a great guest. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I say that about okay. everybody. I say that I'll about everybody. So. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Are you building applications with Vue.js? Then you need to check out the Views on View podcast. Every week, we bring in a guest panelist from the Vue community and talk about the interesting things being built with Vue 
or the changes coming in its ecosystem. You can find it all at viewsonview.com. Let's go. Why won't you start us off? What's your pick? Yeah. So my pick, so I, um, this week I, um, I bought a new computer, a new laptop, Dell Inspiron um, 7000. Um, so it's pretty cool. It's got, got like 4K screen, 16 gigs of RAM. It's got like a little pen and like a little garage you can put the pen because basically I think the problem with like the pens, right, is that it's never there when you need it, but this is just right. next to your computer kind of thing. So, so yeah, right now I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's a little bit bulky though because well, my old computer was a 13-inch. This, um, this is a 15-inch, so mm. just getting used to it. But yeah, so far I'm, I'm really liking it. So, yeah. I, I thought you were, I thought you looked much more handsome um, oh, thank you. Today yeah. than you have in the past. <laughs> I'm actually still using I my. I'm actually still using my I, old computer right now. But <laughs> I thought he looked more handsome today too, and and I've never seen him in the past. Now that I think about it. Oh, too bad this isn't a um a show with video then, right? <laughs> right, right, right. All right, what's your what's your pick, Caleb? This actually uh, falls right in line with what Mark is working on the D and D map deal. Um. The new uh, Dungeons and Dragons class by uh, Matt Mercer, the Blood Hunter. It's interesting. I'll post a link, but uh, go take a look at it, right? Because they, because you don't get a whole lot of new cool classes coming out for D and D, and I think this this might be one people want to check out. I still have my uh, you know first edition D and D books, so I started back <laughs> you know in the early early eighties you know, after school sessions right. and things like that. So yeah, I had a good time with that. So uh, my pick this week is kind of a, kind of a flashback to, to the eighties. I saw some of the new uh, previews of the new Top Gun movie coming out. It, it uh, looks like yep. it could be pretty good. So my pick this week is actually going to be the original Top Gun soundtrack. You know, it's, it still plays well. It's got a lot of good songs in there. So if uh, kind of, if you're a younger generation and haven't heard it, you know, check out the uh, uh, Top Gun soundtrack. Your, your picks are awesome, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. What are you going to go with, Mark? I don't know. I found a rock earlier today that I kind of <laughs> liked. I'm not sure if I can compete. Um, no, well, while you were saying that, I was thinking, I was saying, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you just in general. This is like a, this is like a super generic pick, but it is like battery backup. And it, it, it is for me here, at least here in Costa Rica, is a big deal. I've got one, two, three, four, four points of failure between fiber optics and me. And I've mm-hmm. just finally installed battery backup on every single, on every single one of those points of failure. And oh, okay. so as a result, I like feel really, really good about that. But, but yeah. secondarily, I, w- I was also thinking, you know, aside from that, I was thinking, oh, you know what I should do is I should plug the Dungeons and Dragons show. Because the Dungeons and Dragons show is going to be live on Twitch, but it's not at my Code Rush show. My, my oh, Code okay. Rush channel is is for live coding, but and it's family friendly. But the Dragon Dungeons and Dragons game here, let me type it in here for you right there, is out at twitch.tv slash Dragon Humpers is the name of it, and we're going to go live <laughs> uh, March fifteenth of two thousand twenty. So right now, as we record, it's about it's about less than two weeks away. We're about to go live. Yeah, this so probably won't you, be out for a few weeks, so it'll have already started. You missed it. You missed the first episodes, kids. Get out there, <laughs> subscribe. So yeah, that is uh, that would be my pick. I'd say go out there if you like crazy comedy and Dungeons and Dragons. I think you might like this show. Cool. And that's gonna that's gonna air every Sunday night. I say Sunday night. Hold on, I got to get the time for that. It is at six o'clock Pacific. 
nine o'clock Eastern. And I can't figure out a UTC from that in my head, unfortunately. <laughs> but that's, that's what that is right there. Yeah, I'll throw uh, that out. I know. That's a little, you guys, I bring you down, everybody. You guys are like, oh man, he just selfless promo. This guy, yeah. this guy, I, Mr. Marketing. Honestly, Mark, I was thinking, man, I really would like to be Mark's friend. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Why do, you, why do you think we do this show every week? You know, it's to promote ourselves. So we're, right. we're just constant promoters too. I just want someone to be my friend. I'm just looking for one. That's my, you know, because, you know, my life coach said, well, I, he said, high goals. I go, make a lot of friends. He said, high but achievable goals. And I'm like, yeah. make one friend. He goes, that's good. You can make one friend. Well, you know, I have one friend, and that friend is me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I got. I got to work on that, too. But my voices are screaming in my head right now. No, not you. We want someone cooler. So, <laughs> anyway. All right, guys. Well, I, I like that show. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. Uh, it's It's yeah. been good. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Yep. I, I appreciate our, it. I hope our listeners liked it too. And we'll catch everybody on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.